It's time to talk sci-fi and superheroes, fantasy and horror. It's time to talk movies, TV, books, and games. It's time to escape boring talk radio with the Jenny through the wormhole and into the geek universe. And now, a strange visitor from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Your host for Geek Universe, Jim Yelton. Gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages, welcome to the Geek Universe. The voice you heard at the top of the show was our robotic announcer, Rachel. I am your host, Jim Yelton, and we are coming to you live on tape from Geek Universe headquarters, otherwise known as the restaurant at the end of the universe. This week on the show, lots of great stuff for you. From our podcast, 30 Minutes of Geek, we've got a segment that we call Advice for the Geek Lovelorn, and I think you're going to like our guest advisor this week. Also, I'll give you my two cents on Warner Brothers' follow-up to The Man of Steel. Coming out of San Diego Comic-Con, there was word that... Zack Snyder may be playing more of a long game with, I hate saying, I can't even say it. It's Batman v Superman. I always want to say versus. But anyway, the plans for Warners and DC Comics trying to catch up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe are very intriguing. And as much as I had major problems with how Superman was portrayed in The Man of Steel, it sounds like there's a bigger and bolder plan for all of this all along, leading up to a Justice League movie, leading up to Wonder Woman and Aquaman, and a Green Lantern Corps was announced at San Diego Comic-Con, and my two cents on that's coming up later on on the show. But first, our big topic this week is something I've been dying to talk about. Kendall Ashley writes the recaps for The Walking Dead on the MarySue.com. We had a really great season that just finished up in the spring, and we are looking forward to the spinoff show, Fear the Walking Dead, which coming up in just about a month or so. It's amazing to me that there is a zombie horror show that is the number one drama on television. When Kendall and I got together to chat about The Walking Dead, we had to cover everything. We started off the conversation by finding out how Kendall got to The Walking Dead. I kind of wanted to know, was Kendall a fan of the comics and started watching the show, or was it vice versa? You've been doing the recaps at the Mary Sue for uh, quite a while. Did you come to the show as a fan of the comics, or was it like fresh when it started on AMC for you? It was fresh. I had never read the comics before. I'm just a big zombie fan, so that's what pulled me in originally. So are, are you like old school, like going all the way back to Night of the Living Dead and, and all the Romero movies, or...? Um, I'm, I'm not, I mean, okay. not that I haven't seen them and I don't, they're not good. It's not that I don't think they're good, but, um, I think my big start into the zombie world was probably seeing 28 days later. That was what got me interested in the genre. Well, that's not a bad way to start. No, I don't think so. <laughs> It's kind of weird that you bring that up because I was going to bring it up in terms of Walking Dead because the opening to 28 Days Later is very similar to the opening of The Walking Dead. It and, is. you know, where you've got a guy that just kind of wakes up in a hospital and doesn't know what's going on. And all of this stuff has happened while he's been kind of out of commission. So, so it's good because we both come to it from 
kind of a similar standpoint because I, similar to you, like zombie movies and like horror and sci-fi, and but had not ever read the comic. And I, I don't know if it was because I didn't get into it from the very beginning. And once the show started to come along, it seemed like the comic had been around for a while and it was kind of like i don't want to go back and reread all the comics with the new show starting (laughs) and i i I kind of like that because you know some of the stuff that they have pulled from the comics is not spoiled for me it's totally cool to watch an episode and not know what's going to happen when the show started what were your first impressions of the early episodes that first season I didn't really know what to expect with that first season. I didn't know how they were going to make this a long-standing series. I mean, if you think about how long the show has been around now, just I remember watching the first season thinking, you know, this will probably be around for a season or two. But after a while, they're going to run out of stuff. <laughs> Well, and that's almost that's yeah, and that's almost kind of like we're as as genre fans, you're almost conditioned to that. Like yeah. you're almost conditioned to even if it's a really good show, it's only going to be on for a couple of seasons, and then the network's going to figure out some way to screw it up, and we're going to lose something really good. And I also know from reading some of your stuff that you're a really big Firefly fan, and you know mm-hmm. that is always like my callback. I always say people don't know heartbreak until they've had something that good for only <laughs> one year and then it's taken from you right. and, and i kind of i agree with you i kind of felt like that with the first season of walking dead where it was kind of like okay this is a really good show how long is it going to last yeah and i mean especially with the development of the characters usually in a zombie story the character development is sometimes not the focus of the story it's just like you know whoa crazy zombie apocalypse man and this show is just so character driven and I think that's really what's pushed it um, apart from just having awesome zombie fights and whatnot but these characters that just have completely evolved over time has really helped push this show along as far as it has. Yeah, were you surprised, I mean, as a, as a writer, a fellow writer, were you surprised at how strong the characters were right out of the gate? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I Shane was one of my favorites. I mean, I, I know that kind of makes me sound like a crazy person to say that I liked him, but he was one of those characters that I was really hooked to right from the get-go, just seeing how he adapted to this world, and because he was conscious for the whole thing, unlike mm-hmm. Rick... Um, you know, just seeing how he went from a normal guy and loving and friendly to just a psycho zombie killer was just so fascinating to me. And really, at his journey, it was just, I love to watch. Um, I was really sad when he was gone. So yeah, just, they really started out with a bunch of diverse and interesting characters. I didn't think that any of them were similar you know it wasn't like oh these are the the dumb girls and these are the you know they they all have very distinct characteristics right out of the gate and i i don't know about you but one of the things that i really liked about it was that it picked up the story after the zombie apocalypse happened i mean we Mm -hmm. we didn't get the setup it was just kind of like rick woke up and all of this stuff was going on and even when it started to show you some of the other characters and it showed you shane's group and then when rick got into atlanta and and he met everybody else it was kind of like they had already been dealing with it but we didn't know what happened right we didn't we didn't know why the zombies came we didn't know what was infecting people you know we didn't know any of that so it was kind of like this learning curve but at the same time that to me is always kind of the most boring part of the story (laughs) 
Right. And even in, in a zombie movie, they cut through that pretty quick and, and get to people just kind of trying to survive the zombies. Right. And that's why I kind of liked the setup to it, because even though they've done flashbacks and they've shown before the zombie apocalypse stuff, it really was kind of like jumping into the middle of it and yeah. having to try and figure out what's going on and, and who characters are and what the relationships are and that sort of thing. And even the the kind of Rick, Shane, Lori triangle mm-hmm. that was evident right from the get-go, you still didn't know all the dynamics of that. Right. I mean, yeah. especially when, when Rick ended up getting back with the group and, and everybody knew that he was alive, you still didn't know how that was going to play out. And and I just I really liked the character development of that. Yeah, absolutely. They, they did a great job with that. And, I mean, if you think of – some of the great zombie movies out there that have come out in the modern years, like 28 Days Later or even Shaun of the Dead, they don't really spend a lot of time talking about what happened. I mean, Shaun of the Dead never really even explains it at all. Right. And it's right, cause that's, that's kind of the boring part. We just need to know that they're zombies. The way that they got here is not important. <laughs> this week's show is sponsored in part by GeekArmory.com. This is one of the coolest places on the interwebs for everything nerdy and geeky. They've got t-shirts, toys, gadget, apparel, and knickknacks from Star Wars, DC Comics, Harry Potter, the X-Men, and, and much, much more. There's no better place to find something awesome for that special geek in your life. It's the favorite place to shop for the well-armed nerd. It's Geek Armory on the net at geekarmory.com. That's geekarmory. When you need a professional who specializes in writing, photography, or web design, contact Tom Slayton. At Tom's website, TomSlayton.com, you'll find brilliant WordPress themes, discounts and links for fantastic online services, and sage wisdom from the master himself, Tom Slayton. TomSlayton.com even features a wonderful eclectic collection of photographs seldom seen elsewhere. Visit TomSlayton.com. That's T-O-M-S-L-A-T-I-N.com. That's the trick of it, I think. We do what we need to do, and then we get to live. But no matter what we find in D.C., I know we'll be okay. Because this is how we survive we tell ourselves that we are the walking dead you're listening to Geek Universe and coming up we're going to find out how The Walking Dead is like The Lord of the Rings. Stay tuned and you'll find out on Geek Universe. I'm Jim Yelton. You are listening to Geek Universe with Jim Yelton. Have a comment about the show? Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek. Our special guest for this week, Kendall Ashley, talking about her love of The Walking Dead. Kendall, of course, writes the recaps for the MarySue.com, and you can also find her at DistractedBlogger.com. I'm your host, Jim Yelton, and coming up, we're going to find out why Kendall likes Shane so much, and has Rick 
kind of become Shane the more that the story goes on and the longer the series goes on? Stay tuned. We've got more with Kendall Ashley talking The Walking Dead right here. You're listening to Geek Universe with Jim Yelp. Even though the first season, I mean, and it's the first season of any show, is kind of all set up and telling you who these characters are and what the situation is, there was still that through line where once the group kind of got together and got their bearings, they decided they were going to try and get to the CDC. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it became almost that first season was like a quest. It was almost like a, a, a kind of an epic quest sort of a story where they're trying to get someplace and, and solve this problem. And, of course, they get there and the rug kind of gets pulled out from under them because there's just the one guy there. <laughs> right. And he doesn't have any answers other than everybody's screwed. Right. I thought that was a brilliant way to end the first season because that was kind of like the hope Mm -hmm. for the whole first season was kind of like driving those okay if we get to the cdc everything will be okay and once you get there and you realize well it's it's worse than you thought it was and you really don't have anybody to rely on there's nobody left and you know how did you feel at the end of that first season knowing that they really didn't have any answers and they didn't have a government to fall back on and it was kind of like okay it's just a small group Like, they have to rely on each other. And they're not the most stable group to begin with. Right. Yeah. I I really loved the kind of despair they left you with at the end of the first season, just that there's really nothing that can be done. Which, okay, I have to, I just, this is kind of moving on then, but (laughs) with the whole thing with the CDC, I was like, why did nobody have a problem with Eugene's? let's go to DC thing when they had been to the CDC, right? Okay. Oh, yeah, I've been saying that totally. Yeah. Like, there was not one, you know, Rick is, as much as he's been on point for the last season or so, the fact that when Abraham shows up and he's like, hey, Eugene said we got to go to Washington, there's, he's got a cure and all that we got to do is get him there. Nobody, Rick, Glenn, nobody said, hey, we've been yeah. down that route before. And guess what? <laughs> there was a crazy guy at the CDC and he blew himself up, okay? Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, <laughs> I thought that was funny. And plus, I mean, Eugene just didn't, he didn't look trustworthy. Come on now. <laughs> was it the mullet? <laughs> it was. It was the mullet and the fact that every time he spoke about his plan, it was classified. Like, I would need a little bit more detail. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, my! I drove my wife crazy talking about that. Every time he, somebody would ask him a question or he would try and explain what he knew, it was all very secretive and he was very general with what he was telling people. And I was like, why didn't anybody call him on this stuff? Like, I yeah. don't have a problem getting you to Washington and I'll lay my life down to protect you, but you got to give me something. Give me details. I'm not an idiot. I've taken science classes. Explain it to me and I'll buy into it, but you got to give me more than it's top secret. There's there's no top secret anymore. There's zombies all over the place. Yeah. (laughs) You said that you were a big Shane fan from the very beginning. What was it about Shane that you kind of latched on to? It's going to make me sound like a crazy person, but what I liked about Shane was that he was not afraid to do make the hard choices to keep everyone safe. Now, granted, there were times where he probably went too far, but I mean, just looking at Rick from the first season and Rick now, I really think that if Shane was with the Rick that we know from this last season, that they would probably see eye to eye on a lot more things. But that was kind of what I I really liked about Shane was just his ability to adapt. And, um, you know, it made him a bit of a uh, 
a bit of a, an aggressive character and it made him a little bit prickly and dangerous. But I just, I really loved seeing his adaptation to this new world and being like, well, yeah, of course, you know, I understand why you're making these choices. But then on the other hand, seeing Rick trying to hang on to that, those last bits of humanity. And um, I, I love Rick. He's great. But there were times in Shane's run on the show where I was just like, you know, guys, maybe Shane's right. And so, right. you know, like I said, it kind of makes me sound like a heartless, crazy person. But I just I really appreciated how quickly Shane was able to just kind of click into this survival mode. And I think a lot of it had to do with Rick's reappearance and then him, Shane losing Lori. But still, I just, I really thought that was cool to, to watch. It kind of speaks to one of the things that has been throughout the entire run of the show where there's this continuing conversation, even at times unspoken amongst the group, whatever people comprise the group that how much is going too far and how much are we going to do to try and retain our humanity in this inhumane situation? And it's funny because I always tell people, not just with Walking Dead, but with other things, like there's a lot of books or movies or TV shows that I watch with a mindset of, okay, if I was in this situation, how would I react? Right. And how would I deal with it? And early on, I was kind of playing the fence a little bit because I didn't know. It was kind of like, well, sometimes Shane's right and sometimes Rick's right. And I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I would be in either camp, I think you have to make a case-by-case decision, and it's not always black and white. And I think that's where Shane was trying to make the argument with Rick, that they were in this new world, and the old rules didn't apply. Yeah, yeah, and it just, this whole show, from the beginning to now, it's a question of how do we live now? You know, like how at the beginning it was very much, how do we keep our humanity? How do we continue to be good? And now it seems to be more of like, okay, maybe we kind of have to be a little bit bad to survive, but how do we live a life that's worth living? And what does that look like? And it's just, it's been a really interesting journey, especially watching Rick where he was just so staunchly against those really drastic measures that Shane wanted to take. And now he's shooting people in the face and then saying, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) After he hits them with a car. Exactly. Right. (laughs) That's Kendall Ashley, the recapper of the walking dead on the Mary You can also find her work at distractedblogger.com. Great writer. She's really captures her love of The Walking Dead and her recaps. I'm Jim Yelton, and you're listening to Geek Universe. Hey gang, this week's show is sponsored by the Now Right Writing Guide series from Tarcher Penguin. Now Right Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror is the latest book in the popular Now Right series, and it offers a full toolbox of advice and exercises for speculative fiction writers from some of the most well-known names in the genre. Are you hoping to craft an engaging alternate reality or flesh out an enthralling fantasy quest, or even dream up a blood-curdling plot twist? Well, you can learn secrets from authors such as Harlan Ellison, Piers Anthony, Jack Ketchum, Ramsey Campbell, John Skip, Joe R. Lansdale, David Brin, Vonda McIntyre. I mean, the list goes on and on. They provide tips, tricks, and suggestions to help take your writing to the next level. Whether you're a beginner or a published professional, now write science fiction, fantasy, and horror is a must-have for every genre writer's bookshelf. 
You know, I always tell everybody when I do a workshop or I teach one of my screenwriting classes that when I started, there was like two books that gave instruction on how to do this sort of thing. And you kind of, it was like being a babe in the woods. Like you just kind of had to find your way. And this is a really good way to get some exercises and some hints and tips on how to jumpstart your writing. So make sure to check it out. It's now right. Science fiction, fantasy, and horror. It's available in most Barnes and Noble stores on Amazon.com and directly from their website at nowright.net. Thanks for listening to Geek Universe. And when we were putting together this show, it wasn't just enough for me to talk to Kendall and we kind of hashed out our feelings about The Walking Dead and what we love about it so much. But I came across some really cool stuff. And here's Norman Reedus from The Walking Dead cast appearance at the Paley Center for Media in Los Angeles several years ago. And it's just really cool because he's talking about Merle and Daryl and kind of the Dixon brothers relationship and how that informs his performance performance as an actor. I love the way Rooker plays Mo. I, I love it because he's, he's kind of like this cobra. Like, you don't know when he's going to strike. And, uh, you know, he's, he's in my family and he's my cobra, you know. But he plays it in this way where the, there's a sensitivity to him, which, I, which I'm trying to play as well. But, I mean, there's, there's reasons why people fight, you know. Like, people fight to protect someone or to prove a point. But I think the Dixon brothers fight because they've always had the fight. Like, their backs have always been up against a wall. So you can see that little, there's a sensitive side to both of them. And I can see it in Merle, especially with what's coming up. Like, but it, it gives him reason to be who he is, which is really interesting. I don't, you know, I mean, Daryl's becoming the man he never would have become if this tragedy didn't happen, you know? And having people rely on him for the first time is sort of giving him a, a sense of self-worth. And that's something that I think makes his brother real jealous. Something that he, his brother wants but is never going to get. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Do you think, at this point in the show, up to what, what people have seen, do you, do you feel like Merle can be trusted? I mean, deep down, does Daryl really feel like Merle can be trusted? He hopes, I think. You know, I mean, he, he knows there's good in his brother. But then again, you know, he's trying to kill half the people up on the stage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's just my brother. You know what I mean? Like, you know. And now, 30 minutes of Geek presents advice for the lovelorn. For those of you who caught our first episode, you know that we presented a segment, Advice for the Lovelorn, and it didn't really work out the way we planned. Uh, our advice guru that we had for the first segment was a little confusing, possibly because he's a Jedi and 800 years old, and sometimes, you know, the brain doesn't work all the way, but it was Yoda, and he didn't exactly give right advice, so we decided to retool the segment, reformat it, and get a new advice guru in here, and so this time we're going to really, we're going to make this work. This is going to be a good segment, advice for the geek love lorn out there, and this week our advice guru is Chewbacca the Wookiee. <laughs> Oh, crap. Does anybody know how to speak Wookiee? Anybody? Anybody here? No, guys, nobody can translate. Man, we really didn't think this segment out, did we? You know, we're halfway through this episode, and we haven't even scratched the surface of The Walking Dead. I mean, we haven't even talked about Daryl. We haven't talked about Carl that much. We barely have mentioned Glenn and Carol and Michonne and all of the great characters. So stay tuned. There's more with Kendall and yours truly. I'm Jim Yelton. You're listening to The Geek Universe.
You are listening to Geek Universe with Jim Yelton. Have a comment about the show? Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek. Hey, do you miss the days of Space Invaders and Pac-Man? Well, Gazapper Games has brought those times back for your Android phone with their latest game, Solar Rush. Fast reflexes and strong nerves are needed as you dash about collecting solar cells to power your ship. With the Firebirds constantly on your tail, can you advance through the challenging levels? Solar Rush is a great way to turn your Android phone into a pocket-sized arcade without needing all the tokens. And if you like Solar Rush, try out other Gazapper games like Galaxy Storm and Invaders from Androidia. All three are available from Google Play, where you can get more information at gazapper.com. Hey, it's Jim Yelton, and we're back talking with Kendall Ashley of TheMarySue.com about this week's topic, The Walking Dead. And this is the segment of the show that I was waiting the entire interview with Kendall to get to. It is time for us to talk about the governor. Holy cow, the governor is, in my opinion, one of the all-time greatest villains ever in fiction history. I don't know how... They could have crafted a better character, and I know that the character is a little bit different from the comics, but I think this is one of those situations where it was a, the right actor in the right role, and he and David Morrissey really did a great job of making the governor his own, and we get into why the governor is so creepy in this segment. Now we're at a point where you've got characters like Daryl, who weren't in the comic, who are a huge part of the TV series, to the point where... Every Sunday before the episode comes on, I have to put on my Daryl shirt. <laughs> and I, I haven't put it I haven't put it on the internet yet, but one of these days I'm gonna have to take a picture of my you know, if Daryl dies we all riot shirt. Yeah. <laughs> but I I can't imagine the show without him. Uh, oh. Beth has been such a big part of the show, and she wasn't in the comic. Andrea is not dead in the comics. You know, wasn't Dale the one that was actually eaten, not Bob? I think so. That's only stuff I've yeah. heard. I, I, can't, I can't verify that. But, yeah, I am one of those people that can be very snobby about book-to-TV or movie adaptations. But at the same time, I, I do like it when they can kind of change things up. If you've read the books it's kind of nice to maybe not know what you're in for every week, you know? Right, exactly. When they, they get to the prison, and that season really set up the first time where they were trying to set up kind of a permanent place after Herschel's farm. They were well protected. They were in a prison, for crying out loud. Once they got the defenses set up, they could have been there for a very long time. But even though we had seen some random other groups or random other people in the first two seasons, season three is really the first time where you see another permanent settlement mm -hmm. when Andrea Michonne end up in Woodbury with probably one of the greatest villains ever in the history of TV. He is when, so good. Oh, yeah. When David Morrissey shows up as the governor, what were your first thoughts when you when we were first introduced to the governor? I didn't trust him from day one. <laughs> I was like, this is too nice. You are too nice. Like, there is something very wrong here. This show has given me such trust issues. Um, but, yeah, I just – I didn't trust him as far as I could throw him. I, I just – and then especially, I mean, the more that you get to know him and you start hearing him talking to his men and – um, then you see his weird collection of zombie heads and then his walkers, walker daughter that he keeps. And I was like, oh, man, this guy yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> bad news. Well, and it's funny that you bring that up because the first time the episode ended with him in his little secret room with his aquariums full of zombie heads. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, oh, this guy's not just like normal bad guy. <laughs> like this guy's like off the charts. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> 
Like, yeah. he's putting on a good front for everybody, but if they push him the wrong way, he's going to snap and he's going to go crazy. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's what was great about that uh, that whole season was they let off with that early. Like, they didn't keep mm-hmm. that a secret. You knew that mm-hmm. throughout the whole season, and you just kept waiting and waiting. And, and yep. you know, every time it got close, you were like, oh, this is when he's going to snap. Yep. <laughs> And then he wouldn't. Right. It was almost torturous. And especially when it came to Andrea and Michonne, how Michonne kind of, she was ready to leave much more quickly than Andrea was. Oh, yeah. And it was, I think we were all on Michonne's side, like, get out, Andrea, leave. And just the fact that she kept giving the governor more chances. And, you know, even when things would happen that were sketchy, Andrea would still stick around. And, you know, it was just... It it made for a lot of underlying suspense under every single episode because you were just waiting for that moment when he finally went nuts. And we also, among some of the other surprises that we had, besides the zombie heads in the aquariums and his zombie daughter that he kept locked up, we also find out very early on that Daryl's brother Merle, who who has been gone for like two seasons, Mm -hmm. is the governor's, I hate to use the word right-hand man, (laughs) but... He's he's definitely, you know, like his number one, number two guy. And I love that because, one, I love Michael Rooker. And he was so good as Merle. But along with the tension of the governor, knowing that Merle was in Woodbury, there was you that knew tension. The yeah, was come. Exactly. You, knew like, <laughs> you kept waiting for the episode when they were going to f- come face to face with each other. And because Daryl had spent what, a season and a half away from him and had grown so much as a character, I kept waiting to see what that dynamic was going to be like. Yeah. And if Daryl was going to slip back into just being subservient mm-hmm. and being the little brother, or if he was like actually going to stand up to Merle and be like, no, I'm with these guys. You need to get your head in the game and come with mm-hmm. us. And so it was really cool when we finally got that moment where they were together. First of all, they're both great actors and them playing that moment was cool, but just the character moment of the two of them kind of reuniting was cool. Oh yeah. I was not a fan of Merle when I first met him. I wasn't a huge fan of Daryl at his at his first introduction either because he was really just more of like Merle's lackey when we first right. met him. And I, even after Merle finally died, I was never a huge fan of him, but I just I loved seeing Daryl and Merle interact after all that time apart. It was just you got to learn so much more about the two of them because of their time away and their time to kind of grow as their own person and then to come back together. It just, it made for good TV, I thought. Now we get to a point towards the end of the season where things are really getting heated between the Woodbury group and Rick's group at the prison, and you know at some point the governor is just going to go completely off the rails, and there's going to be a war, which just the thought of there being that kind of large-scale conflict between two groups of people in the middle of a zombie apocalypse just blew my mind, because I was like... (laughs) can't you guys just get it together and go kill zombies? Like, there's right. bigger problems here. Right. My favorite episode of the season was the episode where the governor and Rick had their face-to-face 
chat. If somebody had brought coffee, it would have been better. But they met in the, the barn, and that was pretty much like the whole episode. I mean, they, they kept cutting back and forth to the, the various groups that weren't at the meeting. But the crux of the episode was this was the two of them facing off and kind of trying to hash things out. And I thought that was the first time in the entire run of the show that I disagreed with Rick because mm-hmm. I can't believe he let the governor walk out of the barn. Right. I thought if there was ever a time for him to just pull the gun and shoot somebody, it was then. Right. Yeah. I That whole scenario was just so – it was so hard to watch because you just wanted the governor to be done. You just wanted Rick to shoot the governor or, you know, just kill him. But then on the outside of the barn, you were also seeing the governor's men and Rick's people – kind of talking and becoming sort of weird friends. And I, yeah. the shiny, happy part of me was like, okay, maybe, maybe we can get along here. It'll be fine. And then, of course, no, we can't have nice things here. But, no, I agree. I I understood why he was struggling with the idea of killing him. And I think this is kind of, the governor sort of took the last bits of pre-Walker Rick from him. I think that after his the whole story with the governor from the first time they met him to his very last, that the governor just kind of stole the last bits of mercy and <laughs> empathy from Rick. And so I think if we had that same moment with Rick and the governor now, that Rick totally would just shoot him immediately. But Oh, yeah, because I think you're right. I think that was kind of when Rick started to turn a little bit. And even though we still had kind of a peaceful Rick for a while after Woodbury, that was kind of a teachable moment for him. Yes. It was kind of like, okay, I can't let that happen again because look at everything that happened afterwards. And, I mean, you've got to understand his it, – it's just this whole this whole show has them grappling with – with their old selves and then this new reality. Like my the old version of me would not just pull a knife or pull a gun on somebody that I disagree with. The old person of me would talk about it and try to work it mm-hmm. work it out. But now they have to deal with this new reality where that just doesn't that doesn't play anymore. And, you know, especially with the governor, it's a pretty huge mistake to let him watch it walk out of that barn. But Well I think it's interesting because the first season or two, Dale was kind of Rick's conscience whenever he came to a crossroads like that where he had to say, okay, we're in this new environment. Do I err on the side of humanity and morality or do I do what we need to do to survive? And Dale was always the person to say, hey, we can't let go of who we are as people. And we we still need to be civil to one another in this situation. And the zombie's the enemy, not people. And it, especially in that first season or two, it was always Dale was the voice of reason and Shane was the voice of reality. And and then when those two characters died, Herschel kind of became the new Dale, where yep. he was the voice of reason and morality to Rick. And those conversations that they would have every couple of episodes mm-hmm. were just great. And I, I loved the Rick-Herschel dynamic a lot. Oh, yeah. I think it was really sadly symbolic that both of these characters that have really played a big part of Rick's conscience died brutally. Oh, know? yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of the, the people that are surviving. I mean, we, we heard it at the episodes uh, with Carol and Tyrese and the girls, how they were talking about how good people don't survive. And that's kind of what we're learning is that in, old, that in order for these guys to keep living, that they kind of have to let go of that good version of themselves that they had before. Stay tuned because we're going to wrap things up as Kendall pitches her idea of the perfect Walking Dead spinoff. Here's a hint. It involves Carol and Michonne. I'm Jim Yelton, and you're listening to Geek Universe. This episode of the show is sponsored in part by Ace Designs Media. 
With hundreds of web design projects under their belt and over 200 happy customers, the Ace Designs media team knows how to build beautiful, interactive websites, and they can help with yours too. Whether your business needs a site that will simply wow your customers or you need to add advanced features like e-commerce or blogs, their affordable prices mean that there is no longer any reason to say no to a high-quality, engaging website. So say yes and take the first step towards a new dynamic web presence for your business and visit the Ace website at acedesignsmedia.com. That's acedesignsmedia.com. Welcome back to the Geek Universe. I'm Jim Yelton, and we're going to wrap things up with our special guest this week, Kendall Ashley, as we finish talking about some of our favorite parts of The Walking Dead. For the whole run of the show so far, I mean, we talked over the seasons about how characters have changed so much. And you said early on in the conversation that Shane was kind of like your early favorite character. As much as the characters have changed over the years, do you have a clear-cut favorite character now? It's a tie between Carol and Michonne. And it it depends what episode you get me. Right. <laughs> because I just, I love Michonne. She's so amazing. And so her, her story arc has been so great. And she's loving and funny, but she also can kick ass. And same with Carol. And I would totally just watch the Carol and Michonne show. They're awesome. <laughs> you know, the thing that I like about Michonne is, and they don't do it often, but like you said, I mean, she can be very funny when she wants to be. Oh, yeah, and the times that they let her open, Open up, And a lot of the time it's been with Carl, which mm-hmm. I really liked. Oh, yeah. And I love that relationship. But mm-hmm. there are times where she's so stoic and badass. And then the humor and the light part of her comes out at the... I don't want to say the most odd times, but the most unexpected times where just out of nowhere, she'll do something to make Carl smile or she'll say something that's funny. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're not expecting it because she doesn't do it all the time. Right. Yeah. She's great. I think there's three people on the show that it will hit me the hardest when and if they die and she's one of them. And I hope that they do it in, I don't want to say a noble death because in the zombie apocalypse, I don't know if that's possible, but I, I want her, I want her to have a really good death. Yeah. Which brings me to my next question, which do you have, I, I, I hate to say favorite character death, (laughs) but was there one that kind of stands out to you as the best possible way for them to send off a character i think andrea's death was that um it was super frustrating especially with the whole thing where she's trying to grab that tool with her foot yeah i was like oh my gosh was wrong with you but she died in the best way possible and I-, I was never a huge fan of andrea like i said but i thought that they gave her for being a character that really never connected with a great deal of the audience or any of the cast members apart from Michonne, I think that they gave her a death that was quote unquote good. So yeah, I think I think she had pretty great death. And I mean, Michonne finally taking out the governor, that was also awesome too. Yeah. <laughs> I love that when they, they got rid of the governor, they, they gave Michonne his her shot and then he got killed like twice. He did. He did. Like we we know for a fact he's dead. So. Yes, he is very super dead, but he died so well. <laughs> we know the show's got however many years they decide to to do it because it's the number one show on TV now. Surprisingly, how do you want to see the show end? I mean, this is a conversation. My wife and I have this all the time. <laughs> And I think to myself, you'd like for it to end on a good note, and yet it's The Walking Dead. 
I don't know that Robert Kirkman has a good warm fuzzy ending in the cards for the show. So I keep trying to think, well, what's the worst possible way they could they could end the show. You know, what's what's the bad ending for these characters? And I have like two or three theories that I work with all the time and I think I tweak them every once in a while to think, how could they make this worse? What do you think they're gonna do ending wise or how would you like to see the show end where even though it might be a downer ending, you would still be satisfied as a fan of the show? In a perfect world, I would love to see it end happily. That Everyone's happy and no one is hurting, but that's not going to happen. I think this might shoot my credibility in the foot, but (laughs) another show that I really enjoy is Supernatural, and that's another show that I just don't think is going to end happily. And I think that when you like shows like that, where there's just no ending that's going to feel realistic, that you kind of have to prepare yourself for the very worst. So I could see this show ending in a similar way to how it began with Rick by himself. I could see it ending with everyone else but Rick being dead and then just him staggering off or just everyone being dead like that's the other thing I I wonder is will the show the show will go on until everyone is gone because ultimately at least at this point that seems to be the only ending to their lives there's no salvation coming there's no hope so the only ending is when they ultimately die themselves that's it's not necessarily what i want to see right. <laughs> but i think that's what's coming yeah well I, i've said a number of times that even though they say nobody's untouchable on the show including rick if they're going to kill rick off it's going to be in the last episode i don't Agreed. see them killing him before the last episode I but i i also the masochistic part of me thinks to myself the worst thing they could do is to have him be the only one that survives and it would be kind of a a sick little book end because it's how it started with right. him being all by himself and it would be awful and it would make me so sad but i could i i'm with you i could see them doing that that would be the worst well because i thought when they ended the season not knowing what happened with judith and he was so broken up about that and carl was having trouble dealing with it i mm-hmm. thought when they get ready to cross that bridge that's going to be a tough one. Oh yeah because I don't know how they do that mm-hmm. and and how they kill Judith. Yeah. But And I also don't know how he comes back from that. And the only thing that really brought him back from it this time was Carl. And so I think to myself, he could lose Judith as long as Carl's okay. Rick will find a way to come back from that. If he loses Carl, I think it's over. I think he's done. He He's not going to care. And so I don't think they're going to kill Carl off until the last episode either. So I'm kind of of two minds on it and I, yeah. I kind of agree with you like there's either everybody survives except Rick or Rick's the only one that's left and I don't know which way they, they're going to go I think Rick sacrificing himself for the group so they can survive is the happy ending it's the happier right. <laughs> or the less bad of the two but uh-huh. I, I also think it all has to do with if Carl's going to survive too Yeah. because if Carl dies before Rick then that's going to be a real downer ending yeah it really will do you wonder what Jim is thinking about in between episodes Check out his blog, 500 words or less, at midnight-entertainment.com. And now it's time to find out Jim's opinion on the hot topics of the day. 
It's Jim's two cents. I'm looking right now as I speak at the costume displays that they have for the upcoming Batman versus Superman movie. Batman's costume looks so awesome in this movie. This is like the Batman costume I've been waiting for my entire life. I have some issues with the Superman costume, still not totally sold on that one from Man of Steel, but Batman looks awesome. The Wonder Woman costume looks like a Wonder Woman costume should look. I wish they didn't go with the muted colors that they have. I wish it was a little bit brighter, but what's really cool is the picture of Batman's power armor that he has. I mean, it looks like they took the armor from Dark Knight Returns and just made it into a live-action piece of art. I mean, it's really... So I'm digging a lot of the visual stuff that I've seen from this movie so far. If you've followed me on Facebook, if you've seen any of the comments that I've made over the last year since this movie was announced, I haven't really been all that excited about what DC's doing as far as the story and as far as the character but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And one of the reasons I'm I'm kind of hedging my bet a little bit more is because of something that Zack Snyder said recently. The director of Batman vs. Superman and Man of Steel said that he's kind of had this plan all along. And a lot of the criticism that I and other people leveled against Man of Steel as far as Superman's place and the, the violence at the end of that movie and just the large-scale destruction was all a part of, apparently, Zack Snyder plan for the ongoing story arc of Superman. And it kind of makes me wonder in this day and age of companies having these kind of long-range plans that it's kind of nice that a creator did not lay out the whole plan ahead of time, that he let this one movie come out, didn't really comment on what was going on past the movie, but just kind of let that sit with the audience for a while and now is able to say, okay, well, there's a reason why all of this stuff happened and we're going to see the consequences of Superman's actions in Man of Steel play out in these upcoming movies. I kind of love the idea that Batman is responding to what Superman did in Man of Steel and all of the destruction and violence of that fight between Superman and Zod at the end of Man of Steel and that Batman's the one who's saying maybe this guy isn't all that super and he's not a heroic figure he's an alien we don't know a lot about him somebody's got to make a stand and be in a position to stop him if things get out of control again and it's going to be really cool to see that play out in a movie if that's the direction Zack Snyder's taking it but that's just my two cents and we want to thank our very special guest this week, Kendall Ashley, for joining us to talk about The Walking Dead. Make sure and check out Kendall's recaps of The Walking Dead when it comes back in October. And you can read her blogs at distractedblogger.com. For Rachel, our Android announcer, I'm your host, Jim Yelton, inviting you to come back to the Geek Universe next week. And remember, no matter where you go, there you are. You've been listening to another exciting episode of Geek Universe with Jim Yelton. Tune in next week as Jim chats with Mark Scott Zekri about the Twilight Zone, Star Trek vs. Babylon 5, and growing from childhood sci-fi fan to a stellar creative career. Find out more about the Geek Universe including how to buy Jim's book, the exciting sci-fi adventure The Swindlers of Doom, along with our other geek merchandise, information about our live shows, our full archive of previous episodes, our bonus features podcast, blogs, and more at midnight-entertainment.com. You can also find the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 Minutes of Geek, or on Twitter using the Twitter handle at 30 Minutes of Geek. Geek Universe with Jim Yelton is a production of Midnight Entertainment LLC and is a proud part of the GLN Radio Network. This episode is copyright 2015, all rights reserved.
Well, kids, that's all you get. That's it. Read a book.